each incision, each hit of the pick is data lost. Hi, you're listening to Looted, where we uncover the hidden stories of ancient artifacts and their journeys in the illicit antiquities trade. I'm Zoe Contis, and I'm an archaeologist. Welcome to Episode 4, Village Pillage. You'll notice that this episode has a slightly different format than Episodes 1 through 3, if you've tuned into those. And if you haven't, I hope you will. Each episode stands alone, so there's no listening order you need to follow. Episode 4 is part of what I'm calling the Field Notes series, and the upshot is that I do less of the talking. We're moving out of the museum and into the field, and in this and other episodes like it, we'll hear what real live archaeologists have to say about looting on their excavations. On the show today, I have special guest Dr. Spencer Pope joining us from McMaster University in Hamilton in Ontario, Canada, where he is an associate professor and graduate advisor in humanities. Dr. Pope is a classical archaeologist who specializes in the Greek world, particularly Greek colonization and the interactions between Greeks and the local populations of southern Italy and the island of Sicily. He has excavated all over Sicily, and long, long ago, many, many moons ago, when we were both extremely young graduate students, we dug together at a site called Palike, near Catania, on the east coast of the island. While there, we did our fair share of consuming as much potato pizza as possible, inhaling the ash raining down from Mount Etna that covered our pillowcases in the morning, and washing countless ancient pot shirts. But it was also where we witnessed firsthand the damage that looting of ancient sites can cause. Dr. Pope talks to us today about looters, locals, and the way forward. First, we'll hear his description of the site of Palike, which consists of a lower sanctuary with a village above it on a rocky outcropping. The site, initially inhabited by the local people, known as the Sickles, became part of a new Greek world of colonizers, and the mix of the two cultures can be seen in the evidence from the excavations. We'll hear about the history of these excavations, and then you'll hear me chime in when we get to the part where I got involved in that history. Palike is in the territory of the modern town of Mineo. It's about 40 kilometers inland from Catania and the, the eastern side of Sicily. And it's really a, just a, a magical location because it sits just at the beginning of the hills that rise out of the plain of Catania. And you have this, this flat alluvial plain adjacent to, to Mount Etna. And slowly, slowly, those, those hills begin to to rise and Palike is actually one of the first outcroppings and it was notable in antiquity as a site with seismic activity and in in front of the the, the space that became the sanctuary there was a lake through which carbon dioxide bubbled up and for the indigenous population this was uh, in a sort of chthonic connection and became sacred and from the early archaic period there is evidence of 
monumentalization. A couple of sacred buildings began to to populate the sanctuary and, and serve visitors. The site was sort of a natural crossroads and and point of uh, congregation. Diodor Siculus mentioned it as the the site founded by the sickle leader Ducadius and places at the foundation 453 BC. And with this sort of a, a new center for the indigenous population at a time when the Greek cities were growing, the the excavations examined the the this settlement and revealed something that may be less sickle than than Greek and with a number of small streets placed in great proximity to one another. It, it took on almost the, the appearance of a military-type camp and uh, with material that, that seems to be 4th century rather than 5th century, maybe a, an outpost for mercenaries perhaps stationed uh, by Dionysius of, of Syracuse and you know, sort of placed there to in, in proximity to the the sickle sanctuary to remind the the people that use the site of you know the the political domination of Syracuse. The interesting thing is that the sanctuary continued to be used. Uh, it continued to function all, uh, all the way through the the classical period into the Hellenistic period. So it seems new ownership didn't necessarily change rights. It may have changed. Uh, who used the sanctuary, but the interesting thing is that it, that it continued. So we have a really interesting phenomenon of a sanctuary that begins its life as a part of the indigenous world and slowly, slowly gets um, consumed or is made part of a, a Greek sphere of influence. From there, uh, we have lots of exciting discoveries and, and lots of sort of interesting aspects of of Sicilian archaeology on display, including the period in which the the site had been looted. Uh, It was first known in in the 1960s. Paola Pelagatti of the superintendent of Syracuse began excavations and did a couple seasons in the 60-61. And the site had been basically left alone as far as archaeological interest or professional archaeological interest until the 90s, and in the intervening period was the victim of a number of clandestine excavations and uh, essentially looters coming in using metal detectors and other devices looking for, for anything they could find. And you know this, this altered the profile of the site. It means that when the excavations did start up again in the 90s, there was a lot less there for archaeologists to see. And you know a lot of the information regarding the site had been lost. Was it too early to jump into this conversation? No, no, that's great. And I remember when we first were excavating, we found batteries from metal detectors, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think like even, you know, batteries that have been there a decade, two decades, you know, stuff that had been lost. Yeah. And then also we found lyre in, yeah. in the same holes that we were finding, yeah. you know, modern yeah. lyre in the holes with the yeah. batteries. Isn't that great? We could date the <laughs> the, the moment of, uh, of looting. <laughs> yeah, because we were we were just on the cusp of like the lyre. It, it, it was not uh, destined to live long. After we were there, because it was 2002 that it went out, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we were finding, yeah, I remember like 70s, 80s. Exactly. And, and of course, cigarette butts all over. Naturally. 
You got to smoke yeah. while you're leading. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't do one without the other. And so we not, we'll never really know what was lost from that period. I mean, that's, you know, that's the, that's the sad thing that, you know, any number of fines, either, you know, from small coins to, you know, to ceramics to, you know, to black figure, red figure pottery that had been there have disappeared. And, you know, we know less about the site. We, we understand it less. And, you know, any conclusions we make are more tentative just because we're, you know, we're at a loss. And the thing is, a you know, a, a coin, say, you know, a bronze coin from Syracuse from the fourth century would, you know, maybe get a looter, of, I don't know, 50 euros. That's, I think that's even on the high side. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the cost of that is, you know, the stratigraphy, the, the dating and, and, you know, a lot of precision that would allow us to be certain about the, the site. And, so I mean, do you think it's it's a pity we lose so much information in, in the end for, for something that that's of small even monetary value? A coin could yeah, make all I mean, the difference. It's, yeah, yeah, and you know, uh, you know, any number of sites, even at at Morgantina, where you know just a couple coins on the floor of a of a house, you know, went a long way to reconstructing the entire history of the site. You know, again, something really small could you know, be, you know, very, very insightful, going to be illuminating for the, the history of the, the site. As you recall, excavating, we found, you know, sorts of nails and and uh, hooks even, you know, fishing hooks and, uh, you know, bronze and, and iron tools that, uh, you know, it, 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 per se in the information that don't give a whole lot, but, you know, the, the kind of thing enough to get a beep on a metal detector to, to get somebody to go in and, and start just, you know, turning over stratigraphy. Well, and it wasn't just in the seventies because that happened when we were there. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about that. That you know, I'm sure you can recall as vividly as me. Yeah. You know, mornings getting out there. You know that that we get there at seven and still, you know, just a, a little coolness to the air. You know, it's going to be a hot day, and walking out to the site and seeing fresh holes you know, scattered throughout and knowing that, yeah, somebody had been there over the night or maybe over the weekend. And, you know, we're, we're just churning up earth wherever there was a beep. And, you know, it's unlikely that they were finding anything of particular value, but they were destroying our floors, our walls, our stratigraphy in the process. And we were so painstakingly going through that inch by inch, or is, centimeter yeah. by centimeter, centimeter. I say. Us, using a, to- a toothbrush. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then the greatest just, precision. They just ripped through it. It's, it was just. Uh... It's devastating. You know, I was thinking that uh, another site I, I worked on, actually, it was the summer before in, in 1999 in um, Militello. It was a, a Copper Age site. And. You know, the same thing, a couple of mornings we come in and find somebody had scratched through with a pick and a, a shovel. And I sort of wanted to leave a note saying, uh, you know, dear looters, <laughs> this is a Copper Age site. That means you're not going to find gold coins, silver coins. <laughs> like, like none of the kind of, you know, objects that you that you value, you know, monetarily will be found here. And, you know, again, it, it's frustrating because, you know, each each incision, each hit of the pick is data lost.
So how do we stop looting on Sicily? After Polyche, Dr. Pope dug at a site called Naxos, an ancient Greek city on the coast north of Catania in the shadow of the volcano. He talks about his experience with looting there. And in the second half of the podcast, we think about how looting might be reduced on the island in general. Lessening international demand for antiquities is one way. Increasing local connection to the sites is another. Using the sites to support the local economy is also a way forward. And we mention a couple of sites on Sicily that provide examples of this. One is called Piazza Armarina, which is a Roman hunting villa with fabulous mosaics, including women exercising in what we would call bikinis today, and a second, the spectacular site of Agrigento, dominated by a row of Greek temples in a breathtaking setting. First, we'll hear about Naxos. You know, that's a site that's part of an archaeological park. So it's got a fence, it's got a guard, it's got a ticket booth. And even there, even there, you know, a couple Monday mornings we came in and, and found somebody had to hop the fence and, and dug through. Their whole night's work may may bring up a couple bronze coins, but, it, you know, it causes havoc for the scientific work. And that is is almost categorically different from our experience at Paliquet. So Paliquet were, were out in the countryside. While we were working there, the, the fence was put up around it and the other provisions for visitors, you know, turning it into an archaeological park, making it open, making it, you know, something one can visit. But essentially it, it was remote and you can imagine any number of, of locals that had it, it, it traipsed those hills as kids you know, felt maybe a, a sense of ownership, felt that uh, it's okay, it's my right to, to go through and, and dig the example because I, you know, I know the land and I need a buck. And, you know, th- that was the, the the way it came together. You know, for, for Naxos, it, you know, really is is more like breaking and entering, mm-hmm. I mean, doing damage to a, a pre-existing site. And, you know, one that's in a, a more urban or at least part of a smaller town, um, but certainly, you know, very different question of, you know, walking the hillside than um, jumping the fence at Naxos. And I think that, you know, that sense we saw at Paliquet, the guys coming in at night, you know, you can imagine that Paliquet was one of a number of sites and that, you know, systematically they must have hit them, you know, take their car and, and drive to, you know, site A, A B or C and pull out their equipment and, and see what they can find. And, you know, if they're archaeologists working there during the day, all the better, because then you know where to go. But, right. you know, they, they basically found their way through and, you know, could have had a, you know, a, a sort of constant flow of, of objects. And for, you know, for this area, you know, thinking about about Eastern Sicily, uh, certainly they, there are any number of tombs that they could have come across and have some intact vessels, you know, the, the black figure, red figure kind of things that, you know, buyers like, but I think the the vast majority of the finds they're looking for and the, the things that they money made money on were coins. You know, just a small silver coin, even a you know a, a silver litre of, of Syracuse would be a, a quick buck. And again, I'm I'm hypothesizing, but I, I think you know that on that on that level, the guys were just interested in in you know turning something over quickly, and you know had a a friend of a friend, you know. Uh, a cousin, uh, brother-in-law who knew a guy who knew a guy that, you know, could, you know, w- would buy them 
And, you know, it's sort of those middlemen that created a funnel for, for getting these things out into to bigger markets. Do you think with the internet, they even need the middlemen anymore? Oh, well, you know, I, I was thinking about that, uh, you know, just, just, you know, as, as we were chatting and, you know, for even in, in class with the students, occasionally I've, I've said, everybody on your computer, pull up eBay right now and type in Greek coin and tell me what you get. Oh, man. And yeah, I mean, the thing is it, it's, you know, a wide open marketplace. And yeah, there's, there's no reason why, you know, that local guy would, would need to, to sell it to a shady friend. He could, you know, he could move it directly. And, you know, the thing is for a place like eBay, you know, nobody's doing a control. Nobody's asking questions about where the, the coins are coming from. Right. And, you know, I think the, the thing is that even, you know, even for silver coins, you know, you can get a few thousand dollars or a few thousand euros in, in price. They're still sort of under the radar. And that, you know, for like the Italian Ministry of Culture, it's a small fish that um, certainly it's illegal, but they're looking at bigger pictures and these things, you know, continue to slip through. Right. And so speaking of locals, I mean, the guys, the workmen that we were working with at Poly K, I mean, those guys knew every bit of that rock. Yeah. And yeah. they are so good at spotting things. And so they're the best, right, at finding these things. And that's that's also yeah. the locals who are doing the looting. Exactly. It's, you know, the, the, the I mean, the, all the great guys we work with, you know, they, it, when they're not digging there or not digging for an excavation, they're digging for their orange groves or for, for other crops. So they know the land like no one else. And, you know, imagine spending a lifetime, you know, working with the terrain, you know, you, you know what it looks like in each season, you know what it looks like a little bit wet, you know what it looks like in the winter. And yeah, I mean, if you could use that knowledge to, you know, exploit the site, um, you could imagine somebody getting very, very efficient at, at looting very, very quickly. Do you think though that, like the guys that we were working with, the, the ones who actually are workmen on the sites and who are proud of their knowledge of the things that they're finding and proud of the fact that they're excellent diggers. I mean, do they then, does that pride carry over into not looting? I mean, is oh, this yeah. a naive I, I idea think, or is this one way that we can? No, I think definitely. I think definitely. I think, you know, they see themselves as the good guys and as the, as the protectors and, um, you know, I, I think a, a little bit of that ethos. I, well, I think the the excavators we work with take great pride in being the good guys, and they are happy to be the protectors, the defenders of of the site. And very much, if a little bit of of that ethos rubbed off on on others, I think the the problem would be reduced and, and not disappeared, but certainly be reduced. The moment that there's local realization of, uh, you know, the, the archaeological site tells our history. This is about, uh, you know, the, the history of our town, the history of our area, the, the grandeur that it might have had, the importance that it might have had. When this aspect can be appreciated, it makes it a little bit more difficult for the desperate guy to go out there and and run the metal detector that uh you know that there'll be a greater sense of what he's doing is a violation mm -hmm. rather than uh taking something that that maybe he feels 
it belongs to him because he grew up in the area and, 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 you know, has known it his whole life. And, you know, I, I think along those same lines, things like the, you know, Palique itself uh, opening up as an archaeological site is a great benefit. And, you know, it's a site that people can visit, people can enjoy, people can learn about from the site itself. And again, the, the higher that profile is, the, the more difficult it becomes to, to go against the law. And even the, the superintendency has done great work with, with outreach and you know, working with amateur archaeology groups. Uh, there, I know there, there are a few around Catania, you know, doing tours, even you know, allowing volunteers to come in on the dig. So for the people that are interested in the site and, and maybe interested in, in learning about the process, you know, there's a way. And, you know, again, hopefully that can replace the idea of a, a lone excavator taking what they, they think is theirs. Uh, you know, I was, I was thinking about this and, and really, I mean, it's a question of push-pull, right? That mm -hmm. if the markets were cut off and, you know, the, the eBay buyer or the Sotheby's buyer uh, wasn't offering money for these things. The the demand, you know, the the looting, the the guy with the, the local level, the metal detector, uh, you know, that would would subside, and you know that that's sort of one way to to combat the problem. And then the awareness and you know a sense of ownership, communal ownership, is another way to to reduce the problem. And then being able to say make money from your history. Yeah. Right. As a yeah. tourist. I mean, for instance, Piazza Marina, that place is just like exploded with stores and. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't go in there without getting a mug with a, yeah. a bikini girl on it or, you know, what are the, the mosaics? And, you know, it, it's a win win all the way around. Right. And, uh, visitors get to, to see this charming little town. Uh, you can get you know some good pasta, see the site and, you know, leave it just as it was and, you know, leave it for the next visitor. I've always thought it, there's there's a room for this to develop in Sicily. You know, first of all, visiting any archaeological site in Sicily is is very inexpensive. And, you know, I think you, you pay essentially twice the price for any site in Rome than, say, Agrigento. Mm -hmm. And to Agrigento, you see five Doric temples. And, you know, the, the people that come in, come in specifically to visit the site. So, you know, even if tickets were a little bit more expensive, if the money went back to the site, I think people would be happy paying for it. Uh, it was just, you know, maybe two decades ago that laws were changed to allow the sale of, of books and, and gadgets at sites. And, oh, you know, okay. I think having a, you know, having a guidebook or even taking home a book after the the visit is, you know, great souvenir and, you know, a little bit more money that goes back to the, to the ministry, which, you know, again, I think is a win-win that, you know, it's always amazing when people, uh, you know, maybe grumble at the admission price, but then are willing to, to spend a whole lot in the gift shop and, hey. you know, let that be a benefit for the site as well. That site is I had never been until March. It's so spectacular. I could not it's believe it. Isn't it. I mean, and we yeah. arrived as the sun was setting, and oh, the light is oh, just, just incredible. Yeah. Oh, there's nothing better. I think oh, it's, it's the perfect... most beautiful place on earth. I just was like, this is incredible. Yeah. Even more beautiful than Greece. Well. 
I won't tell. I won't tell Greece you said that. Don't tell Greece. I mean, it's Greek <laughs> stuff. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Greek <laughs> world. Yeah. No, it's gorgeous, and it's so well done that the, the temples are are illuminated. Oh yeah. It, you know, it's just very very impressive. All right. Well, thank you again so much. Hey, thank you, Zoe. This was great to talk to you. Yeah, good to talk to you. Ciao, ciao. Ciao. That's it for today, but there are many more archaeologists with stories to tell. Check out www.lootedpodcast.org for images related to this broadcast as well as links to further online learning about the site of Palike and selected sources by the excavators of the site. You can also find at Looted Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. This podcast is made possible with the support of the Whiting Foundation and Kenyon College. Special thanks to my guest, Dr. Spencer Pope. Original music by Noah Weinman. This is all quite terrifying. <laughs> Why? At least you're not in a video. Yeah. Oh, yes. Which would be a billion times worse. I just hope I don't break your podcast.